Hello, and welcome. My name is Dr. Anthony Hackett, and this is the Is That a Thing podcast, the podcast where we use the sharp knife of evidence to dissect dogma and controversies in emergency medicine and critical care. Although we are physicians, this podcast is not medical advice, but aims to discuss and make available the latest and hottest topics in academics in real time to help influence the best practice at the patient's bedside. Hey everybody, this is uh, Dr. Anthony Hack and Dr. Mike McDonald today with Is That a Thing? And today we're going to examine uh, the use of corticosteroids in cardiac arrest in the post-cardiac arrest state, kind of look at where we came from and why we even do this. So Mike, what is the whole idea behind corticosteroid use in post-cardiac arrest? Tell us a little bit about the physiology. I, I think we never really understood why we were doing this when it was a hot topic and it's something we wanted to look at again. Right. And this is kind of a thing that I'm old enough that this was relatively new to me because I think the wave of this kind of came and went after I was in training. And then so I kind of I missed out on some of this. So a lot of this was new to me. So it's an interesting thing because we suck at cardiac arrest. Uh, and so th- let's try anything that we can. Right. So right. we treat everything with steroids. So why, why not, not a dead person? Right. But it, it actually does have some scientific basis and and the theory is really that cardiac arrest is if you if you think of steroids being the stress response cortisol is your stress response to, mm-hmm. to any stressful stimulus uh, cardiac arrest is kind of the ultimate stress right so right. you just turn it up to 11 and and so let's treat that with steroids the first time this was looked at it was in 1976 and kind of in keeping with that there was a study that looked at 100 milligrams of dex. Man, that's like a, that's like it's a like, thousand milligrams of hydrocortisone, right? It's like super, that's right, super yeah. therapeutic. I feel like everything we talk about that's in practice today or is a hot topic today was studied in the 70s and 80s. So I don't know what that's all about. It's like going retro on it, I guess, right? So yeah, <laughs> maybe that speaks to our roots in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> exactly, man. It, it hits home for us. Exactly. So yeah, if if a little is good, a lot is better. So let's let's right. throw a hundred milligrams of Dex at it and see what happens. What did those people find? I mean, like when they looked at this was in the PEA arrest, and again, like we talk about all the time. I think what we're discussing here is sort of the pre true ACLS or pre PCI era, and so a lot of these things have to be looked at through the lens of that. But you're saying the physiology here is basically that some folks thought that use of steroids in cardiac arrest would sort of prevent the shock that occurs after? Is that what I'm understanding from some of the stuff that we learned? Basically, yes. And there's there's some element of correlation versus causation, right? So, so some people were looking at, they would measure your cortisol level during cardiac arrest and measure your vasopressin level during cardiac arrest and your ACTH level. And, and there's correlation between people that did well tended to have a higher cortisol level, tended to have higher ACTH and vasopressin. Probably because so, they were alive, basically. Right. Right. I mean, so is it the chicken or the egg? Right? right. I mean, there's no way to know. But presuming from that, well, if you do better with with higher cortisol, maybe we should just give you some and, and assume that that's going to improve your outcome. And and for the most part, you know, the study in 1976, they showed a better outcome, better return of circulation. And and I think most studies that we looked at show increased return of circulation. And that, uh, that as compared not, with with kind of standard treatment, right? And to differentiate that from, it's not necessarily survival that we see as a pattern, right? Seems like we see a better return of spontaneous circulation with this therapy, but a lot of this 
the, a lot of the nitty gritty when you get into it really looks at whether or not these patients survive or have a good neurologic outcome. And this, what we were seeing from the nineties and the, in the seventies and the eighties is that it seems that ROSC was improved in the steroids group. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. And that's pretty clear that, that ROSC improves in, in, in one study they had 60% return to circulation. But no, Which, uh, that's not my practice. <laughs> yeah, right. I wish I wish that was my practice, right? But the survival to discharge was essentially very similar, correct? Yes, absolutely. And and not to throw out the <laughs> the end before we even get going, but but yeah, basically, uh, you have a better chance of getting circulation. You, but it has really no income, no no positive benefit for for survival to discharge or neurologic outcome. Yeah. And, and I think something we have to look at too is sort of what, what's the physiology, right? We, we looked at, you said it's the ultimate stress and we looked a little bit into sort of why would we even give steroids to these patients? And what we found was really kind of interesting, right? We found that there's this huge surge of cortisol in patients that survive, which makes sense. Like we made a joke that they're alive, but at the same time, it seemed like cortisol may be causing some improvement because of several different factors there, right? You saw that and I saw that as well. It looks like it's improving basically the post-arrest state. It's preventing a post-arrest shock. And also apparently there's some stunning of the adrenal glands that occur during cardiac arrest, right? Right. Absolutely. And there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. Part of it is just to, to start kind of at the basics, the not to go too deep into, into med school and all the stuff we hate remembering, but the, the HPA axis uh, of the the hypothalamus and the pituitary and the adrenals and their feedback loops and and all the the bad memories I have of that. <laughs> if you think about ACTH levels go up, your stress response results in increased cortisol. What I did find really interesting was that while your your you know two of the three of your HPA axis is in your brain, and so that's going to be the blood flow to that is spared during cardiac arrest. Your adrenals are outside that that kind of core perfusion, and so your adrenals take a hit pretty early in cardiac arrest. And and so your ability to produce cortisol and release it is significantly impacted in the arrest state, whereas you still keep pumping out ACTH. You're trying to get that cortisol response. And again, that's some of the theory of why this would work. Your, your body wants it, but your adrenal can't supply it because it's ischemic. Right. And it seemed that some of the studies in dogs and actually there was one study where they measured people's cortisol levels in cardiac arrest or some said even before that. So I'm not sure what they were doing to do that, but that was back. Hold CPR. We got to measure this. Hold on. Right. Check a pulse and a cortisol and see if it's still good. So what, what it seemed like was happening was patients who survived, they had a higher cortisol level. And some folks think that there's some initial insult that occurs where basically, like you said, there's several different levels of injury. So we have to think about post-cardiac arrest brain injury, post-cardiac arrest ischemia reperfusion injury, and then post-cardiac arrest myocardial dysfunction and adrenal dysfunction, right? So those are kind of three separate entities. And what you're saying is that that HPA axis gets disrupted both in the brain from ischemia and also at the adrenals. And then I had read some of these studies that they had out there where they actually took the adrenals out of dogs during cardiac arrest and found that they were actually harder to resuscitate during the actual arrest. That's right. And that was, that was a lot of the the driving force to, to start trying steroids was, was because of that dog study. If you don't have an adrenal gland, then you tend to not get a return of circulation. So let's 
just give everybody steroids. I don't think that plays out in practice. Right. And I think some the correlation between humans and dogs. Right. Yeah. And I think some would argue that, well, maybe it's because they're, they took the adrenals out, but that's where we make our catecholamines. Right. So perhaps they didn't have enough catecholamine, but I, but I think it's interesting when you look at the data from epinephrine alone, the somewhat recent paramedic trial that looked at epinephrine use, and they found basically that, you know, Epinephrine imp- improves return of spontaneous circulation, but doesn't necessarily improve good neurologic outcome. And actually what some authors have thought is that catecholamines actually cause some vasoconstriction in the brain and actually worsen the ischemia reperfusion injury. And so what it looks like from what we're reading and finding out about this physiology of use of steroids and cardiac arrest is that mainly the the goal of them is sort of twofold. One is to prevent uh, worsening of the myocardial dysfunction, and the other is to prevent any re- reperfusion injury that occurs post post arrest. Is that is that correct? That's kind of what we're seeing, right? And really, it, studying this has has made me kind of question everything we do in cardiac arrest. Like you're saying, if, if you can question the use of epinephrine, you can question everything we do. Right. And we've had some interesting conversations about the history of of resuscitation. I'd like to hear some of your stories about that because I, I know you've you've done a little research into that in the past. What did you find out, Anthony? Yeah, it's just interesting because I kind of well, remember when this VSE paper came out in 2013 and it was really a interesting thing and I thought, man, that's so cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. From the like Greek guy? Yeah, Mentazupolis, whatever. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently he did a couple of studies just a few years apart and then he like this retrospective review of his own studies. And yeah. I'm like, Dude, that seems like <laughs> yeah. he's just, just dipping out of the same well over and over. I, know. Right? I mean, I guess it's a good well, man, you know, but I uh, guess. Hey, I mean, it gets his name out there. It does, man. And then we really started looking into it. And what we found was that it seems that a lot of the things we do don't really change much of anything at all. And some of them might make people worse. For example, epinephrine, we can do a whole a- episode on that, but there are some large reviews that look at, use of epinephrine and, and see that basically we don't really do much except improve ROSC. And it seems that at the end of the day, when we look at some of these meta-analyses and some of these big studies, that big study that we're referring to in 2013 um, was a study that was done by a group, a group in Greece who did several other studies. And, and that was a vasopressin plus steroids plus epinephrine. I mean, what they found was that if you guys remember this study, that the survival outcomes return or return of spontaneous circulation and discharge from the hospital with neurologically intact survival was higher in the patients who received vasopressin steroids and epinephrine in comparison to placebo. And so a lot of people really got on the sort of steroids train very briefly, actually. But it seems that to me, from what we can see, there really hasn't been a lot of ability to repeat that data in the clinical literature. In fact, a recent 2021 paper that came out in JAMA actually looked at the same exact question. And what they found was they had a higher rate of ROSC, but no difference in survival, no difference in a good neurologic outcome. And, that, and that's kind of, I think that really kind of sums it up in a nutshell. So yes, it'll certainly get you your blood pressure, heart rate, and, and basically get you sort of back circulation wise, but you can't, there's really no way to preserve the post-cardiac arrest brain as far as we can understand at this time. Right. Right. And that calls into question whether it's what the role of steroids and vasopressin is in the post-arrest situation. You can kind of break this down into kind of peri-arrest, like during the arrest use and then post-arrest and, and studies that looked at post-arrest shock kind of had similar things. That's that one you're talking about from 2016. They looked at basically corticosteroids and post-arrest, and they found basically that they did improve some 
some of the parameters from patients who had post-arrest shock or post-arrest cardiac arrest syndrome. And all of y'all know, you know, when we treat those patients, they're persistently hypotensive or they keep having an arrhythmia, those sort of things that seem to improve those patients' state. However, at the end of the day, there was no significant mortality difference in either of those group, right? Correct. Yeah. So is it the steroids that get the pulse back and then, and then there's something else we need to be doing to then extrapolate the next or, or take the next step yeah. to, to improve outcomes. Cause while we do want to see long-term benefit, I think improving your, your rate of ROSC is not an insignificant finding. Right. It's not the ultimate thing we want, but it's not insignificant either. And so if we can get that first step to get circulation back and then, and then look at what are the things we can do to, to preserve that and, and improve those neurologic outcomes. I think right. there is benefit to that. I would agree. And I think when you look at the data from steroids, what it looks like is that the steroids kind of really provide an anti-inflammatory effect like we know they do. And also they prevent damage at the mitochondrial level. They may also raise blood pressure and post-arrest shock. And so I think in concert with other things as technology advances, I think we really need to look sort of like us as bedside clinicians. It's hard for us to do that, but to understand that things that are going on at the cellular level, that's where the damage is really occurring. And so I think the main benefit from these things are they're promoting uh, or improving blood pressure post-cardiac arrest. And there's preventing damage to the patient's cellular level, mitochondria, that sort of things as this post-arrest syndrome progresses. But most patients, I think when you talk about cardiac arrest, and I think this is another criticism I have of sort of the vasopressin steroids epinephrine paper, although I think it's a really interesting idea based on the physiology. And I think it probably needs to be investigated further. One thing that's really interesting is all those studies were in inpatient settings, and I couldn't find anything for outpatient settings using steroids that actually showed any improvement. Could you? No, and there was—I could only find one paper that even addressed out of hospital, and and it was the same thing: better ROSC, the same mortality at one in seven days. Right. So at least they even looked at it, but it was the same. Yeah. Uh, now I, I I'm going to go on a little rant here, if that's okay with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring it on. Uh, so. Part of what I think, I'm really interested in the cardiac arrest literature and, and all the different things that we try and we do. And I think we'll be doing some more podcasts on this in the future. But part of what drives me crazy about all of it is that we treat or we study cardiac arrest like it's the disease. And as you know, we talked about nitroglycerin last, last month, and we talked about how the actual pathophysiology of your cardiac coronary syndrome is vessel occlusion. Well, your your actual pathophysiology of cardiac arrest can run the gamut, right? Right, right? I had a patient a couple of weeks ago who I sent to the cath lab. He presented having a STEMI and chest pain, but his, he ended up arresting on the table because his hemoglobin was three and a half. Right. So so it, you can have the right treatment for the wrong patient and, and vice versa. And I think a lot of times when we just look at what happens when we do this intervention in all-comer cardiac arrest, it's hard to interpret that data because you're looking at, at every cause of cardiac arrest, whether that's hypoxic arrest or hypovolemic arrest or hyperkalemic arrest or yeah. PE or, or ACS. We've got all these different things that cause cardiac arrest, and, and we make one intervention and say, well, does it work? Well, it might work in, in one cause of cardiac arrest and not another. And I think it'd be much more helpful if research would try to take that into account on some level. Yeah, and because extrapolating that data becomes really difficult. 
Right. And that kind of speaks to something you had brought up earlier about some of these studies that looked at patients who got steroids and cardiac arrest, and they found that the patients who had lower cortisol actually did better. So it's kind of like, well, that makes sense, right? But we can't measure everybody's cortisol. And I think, like you said, if we know it's a big LED occlusion, or it's a pulmonary embolism, or it's a tension pneumothorax, we have to treat that main disease. So looking at all that stuff together, is the addition of corticosteroids something you see in the future? Is it a thing? Do you think it'll ever be a thing or was it ever a thing? Like what, what should we be doing with this data? Well, like I said, I think, I think return of circulation is not an insignificant thing. And so I think it's uh, like all things in medicine, right? It's situation dependent. The answer is it depends. If it's a 25 year old kid and their family's on the way and they're not here yet, and I want them to have the opportunity to say goodbye. Yeah, I'll probably try it because I want that those better odds of getting a return of circulation, whether that's meaningful seven days from now or not, I'm trying to buy some time, right. For the family. Right. right. If it's a 95 year old guy who's on hospice and he's got end stage cancer. No, that doesn't make any difference. So I, I think it depends. I think in terms of all comers, I'm not going to be using this. I don't think it's a thing when you look at just all comer cardiac arrest. Yeah, I think, and I think I, I agree with you. I think it's an interesting thing. It's something that has its roots in physiology. I think what it really tells me is it's not a thing in cardiac arrest, but it may become a thing later if there was ever an Elon Musk of cardiac arrest, right? Somebody who could really innovate that and look at why do why do the cellular processes break down at the micro level? I think it really tells me that cardiac arrest is much more complex, obviously, than the initial process. But it, once you start that ischemia reperfusion injury, once you're out of that electrical phase of cardiac arrest, you're really in a lot of trouble. And, and I don't think that any of the current therapies that we have today really do much difference in that setting. And I think in the future, maybe once we figure out how to mitigate that, you know, who's at risk for certain things, then maybe steroids will be a thing. But I think in the present setting, I don't think they're a thing. Unless you're, unless you've already had ROSC and you're trying to improve somebody's you're having the post-cardiac arrest syndrome, I think it might be worth a try in the post-cardiac arrest syndrome, but I don't think in CPR that it's necessarily a thing. And it probably won't be until we figure out, like I said, we can restratify people into people who would benefit and won't benefit. But it's just an extra step at this point that probably distracts people from the actual resuscitation, airway breathing, and circulation. Totally agree. Cool, man. Well, hey, dude, thanks for really reviewing this with us. I think this is a really deep dive on a topic that's kind of obscure, but, you know, had a lot of interest for me because if, if anything we can do to improve outcomes, I think we should examine it and talk about it. And I, and I think this is really interesting to see there's really like 95% of the literature says it doesn't really change anything except return of spontaneous circulation. But that is worth noting. And then separating that out from that post-cardiac arrest state, I think that's another thing, too, to remember when you're having trouble keeping somebody alive after Ross, this might be useful to try. It's not going to hurt the patient. But, right. if the, you know, there are outcomes, side effects long-term, but it looks like we may not be lucky enough to get to that long-term point in most cases. Right. And, and one thing we didn't mention that, that probably is, is worth talking about, the studies that did look at kind of the side effects and if, if people that got steroids had, had side effects uh, like or, so, or sodium abnormalities or increased glucose or poor glucose control. They, they all across the board showed no difference between placebo and, and steroid right. patients. So I don't think it's going to harm anybody. Right. But I agree. It's, this is not a, this is not a prime time thing. Cool. Cool. Well, awesome. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. I look forward to doing it again. 